when we don't cross pollinate our networks with different industries and different ideas, we start to try to solve our problems in a vacuum. And that doesn't work. If everybody around the table has all the same experiences that you do, it's going to be really hard to get creative. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go. I'm your host, Jeff Tun. One of the themes of our first season here on Status Go is companies don't transform, people do. For any IT leader who wants to challenge the status quo, who wants to transform, having a vibrant professional network is key. I learned the value of a strong network several years ago when I was in transition myself. For the first time in my career, I found myself without a job. I really had no idea where to start. My network had gone stale. I had spent little to no time fostering it over the years. But I was stunned at how many people were willing to stop everything and have a cup of coffee. People I hadn't talked to in 20 years. People I didn't even know. From that point on, I promised myself two things. First, I would never let my network go cold again. And second, whenever anyone asked to meet for coffee, the answer was yes. Over the years, I built a strong and large network. And I was feeling pretty smug. And then... And then I met Amy. Our guest today is Amy Wanninger, CEO of Lead at Any Level and the author of Network Beyond Bias. And I'll add a recovering IT professional. Amy's approach to networking, what I like to call intentional networking, opened my eyes to a whole new world, a new approach. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you so much, Jeff. You could not see me nodding along as you were talking about needing to keep your network fresh and warm and keep your connections going. Um, It's always when we think we don't need people that it's best to reach out to them. And then when we do need them, it's it's so seamless. Absolutely. But it can be a challenge, uh, right, to spend that time and that effort. But man, it is so worthwhile to do that. It is. I was in a similar situation to you, you know, early in my career in the early 2000s. IT was a great place to be for about six months at a time, right? (laughs) We we would staff up, we would lay off, we would staff up, we would lay off. And I quickly realized just right out of school how important having a good network was because the people that got jobs the quickest after a layoff were the ones with strong networks. And I set out very early in my career to build as, as broad a network as possible. So Amy and I were first introduced via a mutual connection. And honestly, Amy, I can't even remember now who that was that connected us, but you were in IT. I was in IT. You were getting ready to publish your book. I was in the process of writing mine. We just had to meet. And I have to say, our conversation was incredibly impactful, at least for me. So as you know, this podcast is about challenging the status quo. To me, your work has been just that, challenging the status quo, encouraging people to think differently. Talk to us a little bit about your work at LEAD at any level and how you are challenging that status quo. 
Thank you, Jeff, for that. You know, it was a great conversation that we had. And I am so glad that you and I met. I, I think I joked last time we talked that we tend to talk about each other more than we talk to each other. <laughs> exactly, because every, yeah. everywhere I go in town, people are like, I was just talking to Jeff Tun about you. And <laughs> <laughs> Ditto. So what I do, going back to your actual question, at Lead at Any Level, I work with organizations that want to build diverse leadership bench strength for a sustainable competitive advantage. That statement is designed to elicit a lot of questions like, why leadership bench strength? How does that get you to a competitive advantage? And I really believe that the old ways of doing things, the old ways of recruiting and hiring and succession planning, the old ways of promoting people, the old ways of recognizing talent, those days are gone. And we really need to accept, you know, as people in business, as people in IT, that we are in a global economy with a global talent pool, with a lot of demands on their interests and affections and time. And we need to engage differently with our employees and show them that we're really for them. So let's go back to that first coffee meeting. I remember sitting down and, and I asked you to tell me about your book. And rather than just describing an outline of the book, you grabbed a napkin and began to draw on it. Being an old IT person myself, I, I was quite comfortable designing uh, systems on the back of a napkin. But you walked me through this exercise, this, the initial exercise. Can you kind of walk our audience through what you and I talked about that first day? And uh, if you're listening, I encourage you to grab a piece of paper or if you happen to have a napkin handy, walk through this exercise with Amy. Absolutely. And if you're driving, don't worry. I will give yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll give Jeff a link that he can put in the show notes so that you can access it after the show. So if you have paper in front of you and you're not driving, draw just on the down the left-hand side of the paper, leave a little room at the top, but down the left-hand side of the paper, write vertically the word champ. C-H-A-M-P. I created this concept called networking like a champ because a lot of people don't think very far ahead about who do they need to connect with and why. Our network is whoever sits by us at work that week. And I've talked to people who said, you know, I used to be really good friends with Jane and they did a restack of our office and now I never see Jane and I'm really good friends with Hamid. And, you know, and then if Hamid has to move to a different floor, guess what? Yep, You've yeah. lost touch with him. It's funny to me how much proximity and likeness, meaning how much like people or how much like ourselves other people are, really drive who we connect with. And so I want people to think very intentionally about their careers and the impact of their networks on their careers. So each letter in CHAMP stands for a type of person you need in your career. The C stands for customer. Now, if you're playing along at home, write down the name of an actual human customer. And I'm not talking about an internal customer. I'm not talking about somebody who works in your same company that you're delivering your services for. I'm talking about somebody who buys your company's services. Because you really want to understand your company from the perspective of someone that writes a check. So write down the name of a real human customer, somebody who you can look in the eye, shake their hand and ask them questions. The reason this is important besides just getting that outside perspective is 
you know, if everybody in your organization understands what your end customer needs, you're going to be able to innovate. You're going to be able to drive both top line and bottom line results. And so it just makes a big, big difference. The second person in your network that you need to be very thoughtful about is someone who you've recently hired or helped get a job. That's what the H stands for in CHAMP. So write down that person's name next to the H in CHAMP. Now, it doesn't mean that you hired them directly. It could be that you recommended them for a job at your company or somewhere else. You introduced them to a hiring manager or hand-delivered them to a trusted recruiter. In your industry, I have my personal favorite. Am I allowed to name drop my favorite recruiter in IT? Oh, sure. Okay, so Don Kellner at Ah, Momentum is the best recruiter. I love that guy. And everybody that I talk to that's looking for a job in IT, I'm like, okay, I I hear you're looking for a job, but have you talked to Don yet? So if you've introduced somebody to Don Kellner or your favorite recruiter in your metro area, write their name down in the H column or in the H spot. Now, I want to be very clear that endorsing somebody's skills for Excel on LinkedIn does not count as helping them get a job. (laughs) We have to have standards here, people. That's right. That's right. Okay. So the A is for an associate and your associate is somebody that you are kind of on, on a level playing field with maybe somebody that's a pacing partner for you in your career or somebody that you can go out and have coffee with, or maybe something a little stronger if you've had a bad day at work and kind of bounce some ideas off of them. The idea is that wherever they work, they have about the same level of responsibility and authority that you have. Are you with me so far? So far, so good. Okay. The M is for your mentor. Now your mentor doesn't have to be somebody that's officially assigned to you by some agency with ultimate authority over your career. Your mentor can be anyone that you look up to, that you take their advice to heart, and that you seek their counsel when things get rough. And if that person doesn't know that they're your mentor, tell them because it's going to make them feel good. It's going to let them know (laughs) that something they've said was worthwhile. P is for your protege. And this is so important. So just like a mentor can show you a path forward, Taking somebody under your wing and telling them all the things that you know that you've learned since you were in their spot can be a really good reminder of how far you've come. If you suffer from imposter syndrome, which is that feeling that you'll never know enough to be legit in your space, my first piece of advice to you is go find somebody that you can mentor because every bit of wisdom that you pass on to them, everything that you've learned, you'll have to recognize that that's something that you've acquired. I love that approach about looking across your network in that way. And and I especially love the M and the P, right? The mentor and the protege that I find when I'm mentoring someone, I'm learning as much or more from them than I think they do from me. Do you find that that's usually the case in a good mentor-protege relationship? Absolutely. I think that being a mentor is one of the most important and valuable things a person can do. And it's not just for somebody else's career, right? But for their own career. Yeah, yeah. I actually have a blog post entitled 17 Completely Selfish Reasons to Be a Mentor. (laughs) I've missed that one. I'm going to have to go check that one out. But, you know, it's there are so many selfless reasons, right? Just to give back and just to help somebody else. So I want to shift gears just a little bit. Your book, Network Beyond Bias, and I'm going to add in here to our listeners, 
I highly recommend that you grab a copy of that book. It will change the way you look at professional networking, and it will probably change the way you look at yourself. So I encourage you to pick up that book. But anyway, Amy, you, you start that book with a look at our biases, our unconscious biases. Like your book, I think that is where our conversation started when we first met, because I had just read the book, What Works for Women at Work. I was kind of in a quest to improve gender diversity in IT. Would you explain bias and unconscious bias and why that plays an important role in our daily lives and then take it a step further and why that's important when you're thinking about your professional network? Absolutely. So bias is just a preference, right? Let's get that out there right now. Everybody has bias. If you have a brain, you have biases. Our brains are very, very poor at multitasking, but very, very good at sorting. And what it's best at sorting is, you know, things that are familiar to us and things that might kill us. Those are kind of the two (laughs) buckets we put things in, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, if something goes into that might kill me bucket, we tend to pay more attention to it. So anything that we've seen before, we tend to ignore. And the best way I think to describe that is if you have a commute to work that you make every weekday, there are probably days that you get to work that you don't remember even driving. Yeah. You might remember one stoplight along the way or, you know, one person that cut you off, right? Because you've been there, done that. It wasn't about to kill you. So your brain was somewhere else entirely. Over time, these biases, they drive our behaviors and they drive our decisions And they start to work in ways that we don't recognize anymore that we're actually making decisions or that we're behaving in these ways. So instead of conscious decisions about making our worldview bigger and bigger and bigger, we're letting our biases make our worldview smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. Now, that's fine if you're choosing it, but most of us don't recognize that we're doing it at all. Unconscious bias then is all of those decisions we make without even knowing we're doing it, where we sit when we walk in a room, who we talk to first, what we say, right? We probably have five canned things depending on where we are and what the weather's like, (laughs) you know, what we're going to say. Exactly. Um, One of the things I've learned about that is here in the Midwest, we all talk about the weather. You go to the West Coast and they all talk about the traffic. It's kind of that same thing. So we get in these (laughs) habits, right? It's important to get out of your of your bubble and find out that these things are cultural and not absolute. So we have these defaults that we rely on. And in our networks, it's the same thing. So just like if you used to sit with Jane and now you sit with Hamid or, you know, you used to sit with, uh, you know, Hamid and now you sit by yourself and you don't talk to anybody, you know, you have to make a conscious effort to, to move, yeah. you know, maybe a couple cubes away from where you're sitting or a couple offices down or onto another floor, maybe even, <gasps> heaven forbid, outside of your building or your industry <laughs> <laughs> and go make some intentional connections. And Jeff, I think, you know, when we were talking about your network, you know, you said at the beginning of this that you were feeling pretty smug uh-huh. and you had all five types of connections. And that was great. But then I said, let's look at what perspectives does your network ignore? Yeah. So the second part of that exercise is to write the word ignore across the top, but spell ignore with two G's. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I just want to give you a taste of what this can do for you. So if you write the word ignore across the top and you start with the I column, I is for industry. 
So go down that champ, that list of your five champs and put an X next to anybody who's in a different industry from you. And I think, Jeff, when you and I did this, you kind of chuckled because you're like, well, of course, everybody I talk to is in IT. (laughs) That's top of mind. And so then we talked about, well, what does that mean for you? Right? How do you know what innovations are happening outside of your space? How do you know what client needs are changing or what customer needs are changing outside of your IT space? I think that's one of the interesting things. And my guess is you experienced this as well with the with the launch of a book. So we both published books uh, last year, but it opened up a whole new group of people that we're networking with and we're talking with that for me had nothing to do with IT. It was all about publishing and speaking and what a wonderful group of, of people to add into our networks through that experience. Absolutely. And you know, it doesn't end there. I speak at conferences all the time. I'll go to higher education conferences and they're talking about the same problems that the people at the insurance conference were talking about the week before which are the same problems that the technology conference is trying to solve the next week, right? When we don't cross-pollinate our networks with different industries and different ideas, we start to try to solve our problems in a vacuum. And that doesn't work. If everybody around the table has all the same experiences that you do, it's going to be really hard to, to get creative. And industry is like the easiest thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> like That's yeah. the easiest thing. And no one does it. Right, right. And then we go into demographic things like age and race and gender and ethnicity and all of these different components. You know, when you add these things that make us uncomfortable, right, then we really start to shut down and we start to push people away or not engage or not and definitely not seek them out. It wasn't until I went through this exercise myself after I created the tool, I thought, oh, I'm going to rock this, right? Uh (laughs) And I I took my own assessment and I was almost in tears. I was like, this is not who I am. Then I realized it is who I am, but it's not who I want to be. And so I changed. That's the power of this is once you see it on paper, you know, you can understand where you need to be more intentional. And I actually created a a journal to help keep myself honest. Um, And I also sell the journal. It's called Network Like a Champ. And so basically, anytime I have a conversation with somebody from any of those categories, customer, hire, associate, mentor, or protege, I write that down in my journal and I mark not only where they fit into my network based on those categories, but what perspectives does that person bring that I don't have? Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I, I like that idea. It raises a question for me as you as you look at this, and this is something that I'm not sure we've talked about before, Amy, but when you identify a gap in your champ network or in your ignore profiles, how do you go find someone to fill that gap? Are you doing it intentionally? Are you just letting it come towards you? How do, how do you approach that? So I don't let anything happen by accident, Jeff. <laughs> that, I think you've known me long enough. Me? <laughs> <laughs> I think you've known me long enough to figure that out. Uh-huh. So no, if it was going to happen by accident, it would already be there. Good point. Good point. So no, I go out and I get intentional about this stuff. This is important. So here's just a few things you can do. If you find out, let's, let's use a, a very scary for a lot of people. Example, um, race is a really tough boundary 
in the United States, right? Uh, we're a very segregated society. I think somewhere upwards of 80 or 90% of white people don't actually socialize with anyone of a different race. Yeah. The numbers are a little bit better for ethnic and racial minorities in the U.S., uh, but still, you know, we tend to be very insular in our own racial communities. So I set out to fix this for myself. I was like, this is not who I want to be. Right. I want to be someone who can connect across this difference. And so, yeah, I got intentional. I started following people on social media that I'd never followed before. I started following thought leaders in different industries of different races from me. So just some examples in the DNI space, David Casey, who is the uh, chief diversity officer for CVS pharmacies. I follow him on social media. I follow Avis Jones DeWeaver. She's a, a political commentator. She's brilliant. Um, let's see who else. Minda Hartz is writing a book right now about getting black women a seat at the table in corporate America. Uh, her book is called Memo and it comes right. out later this year. So many people right, that I found on social media by following a person here and they lead me somewhere else. And I start to listen to the conversations that are happening without me because that's what they're doing, right? They're having conversations without me because yep. why would I be there? Right. And then I can pick up on the nuance of those conversations and understand a different perspective and not weigh in, right? Not be there to say, and here's how I think right, you should right. do it because that's not what that's not what this is about. This is about learning a different perspective. Well, something interesting happened a couple of years ago. Uh, Dr. Avis, she had a, a conference it was called the Master of the Media Summit. I think she runs it every year and it was phenomenal. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go to that because I want to hear what she has to say. And I got there and I was on one of only two white women in the whole place out of, I think, like 200 people. And it was awesome because everybody there kept confusing me with the other white woman in the room. And I know that they get that every day at their day jobs. And it was really good for me to get that sense of being an outsider yeah, in that space yeah, and keeping yeah. my mouth shut and listening and, you know, being very emotionally intelligent in those conversations so that I was receiving and not being in charge. And from there, an interesting thing happened. And, you know, I grew up in Southern Indiana where in my county, I think it was 99.998% white people when I was growing up. And I'm, that's not an exaggeration. I looked up the, the, um, demographic information for an interview I did. Yeah. That was a new experience for me being in a space where, you know, I was a, a, in a very small racial minority, but I started friending these folks on Facebook that were in this group because they were of course, fantastic people that were, you know, on the same path I was on. And I noticed, you know, the images in my Facebook feed changed Right. instead of getting the media messages about what black families look like and what activities black men engage in and what black mothers look like and what you know what kind of things they do with their children or you get a lot of images from the media that don't match reality and i started getting real people's real pictures in my facebook feed of you know here's us working in the garden for mother's day and here's us doing this and it it wasn't that i didn't know that those things went on don't get me wrong yeah. but it made me very quickly realize how much of that was missing from what I see every day in the news, on television, on social media. So I doubled down and I started connecting with more people who were different from me on social media, in conferences. I went to a, um, I'm sorry, that's a very long answer to your question, oh, but I, great. I went to a higher education conference where I was speaking. I did a keynote there and a breakout session. And one of the breakout sessions was um, 
it was something about the struggles of African-Americans on the tenure track. And, you know, this was a conference with a lot of people and I was the only white person that showed up to that breakout. And I thought, what a tragedy because the people who could do something about this problem are in all the other breakouts and not here listening to this. Where we show up matters and how we show up matters. And that's just one example, but I have done this in so many different ways because once I noticed a gap, I wanted to close that gap. I think I have the answer to the question that I that I was going to ask in this, but some of the gaps are more visible to close than others. Race is a good example. You can tell to a certain degree by looking at mm-hmm. someone that they're of a different race, but some of the gaps that you identify in your book don't really have anything to do with outward appearance. How do you begin to close those gaps without being so blunt that you're asking stupid questions of people. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, a lot of people will say, well, I don't, I don't ask questions or I don't say anything to certain people because I don't want to say the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And you think about if you're the only in an office, right? So let's take, you know, for example, the only, um, the only person with a visible disability mm-hmm. in an office, right? You got 99 people in the office and you, And 99 well-meaning people think, wow, I don't want to say the wrong thing, so I won't say anything. Yeah. How engaged can you possibly be at work when no one is talking to you? Exactly. You're right. There are also differences that are important but not visible. Things like disability or intermittent disability or chronic illness. There are also people in the LGBTQ community who may or may not be Mm -hmm. out especially in the workplace, half of people who are in the LGBTQ community are not out at work for a lot of good reasons. And so, yeah, there's a lot of hidden difference, right? Where we grew up, our socioeconomic status growing up is a big, big thing for people. And so what I tell folks is, look, if you don't know somebody very well, the answer is not to say less to them to avoid offending them, right? Like (laughs) that's not going to help. (laughs) Yeah, good point. (laughs) So If you don't know somebody very well, the best thing to do is to ask them some questions that are not super personal, but also to share a little bit about yourself. And I talk about, I sort of have this, this concept of stories build trust, trust builds relationships, relationships drive business. Oh, I like that. And if you can tell a story about a time when you struggled or a time when maybe you'd fell short of your own values or you felt out of place. If you can tell those stories, especially with people who are maybe a little bit new to you, that's going to open the door for them. And they're going to see you as someone that they can trust. On the the LGBTQ front, this is a tricky one because a lot of people struggle to be out at work because being out at work, while it might afford them certain benefits in terms of health benefits for their spouse or their domestic partner or things like that, it can cause them other problems as well. So that might put their job at risk altogether because in a lot of states, there are no protections for LGBTQ workers. It might put their housing at risk if they rent. Um, They could be evicted from their homes in many states for being LGBTQ. There are a lot of people holding a lot of stuff back for their own personal safety. What I say to people is, look, if, if you think you don't work with anybody who's LGBTQ, it's because they don't feel safe. It's not because they're not there. And the best way to make people feel safe is to speak up, be an ally, wear a pride lapel pin during pride month, which is coming up in June. 
Put an ally sticker up on your cube wall or your office wall. If you have someone in your family who's LGBT, don't talk about them in hushed tones. Don't erase their partners from your weekend family reunion stories, right? Speak up about that and let people know that you're a safe person to come out to. You're a safe person to talk to because I guarantee you they're looking. I've had that experience in my own life and I've had other people come to me because they saw me as an ally when they felt like they didn't have anyone else at work. That is a great suggestion. Now, I'm, I'm going to lay a stereotype on you okay, um, and say that most people in the IT profession are introverts, okay? Uh, and we, we introverts hate the thought of networking. <laughs> what are some tips that you can give sure. to our uh, introverted listeners out there that helps them get over it and get out there and take advantage of this type of networking? Sure. So I have to tell you, Jeff, you've hit upon my absolute favorite networking question (laughs) because it might surprise you to know that I once hated networking. Mm -hmm. I hate small talk. Mm -hmm. I'm terrified that I'm going to run out of things to say and meeting new people scares the hell out of me, (laughs) quite frankly. Isn't that amazing? So here's what worked for me. Number one, I try to, instead of And I'm not an introvert. I'm just a little bit of a sociophobe, I guess. Um, I'm good on a stage. I'm like a little less good one-on-one. But here's what I did. I I decided that I was going to, like, especially in a big group, like you go to a conference, you're not sure what to do, right? So you stand in the corner and you eat something with one hand and you have a drink in the other hand and you're like trying to, you know, you've got like every nonverbal communication that says, don't talk to me. Don't make eye contact. Do not make eye contact. So if you're doing that, number one, don't go to the conference. You're wasting your money. Just listen to a a podcast or, you know, (laughs) watch a YouTube video. Like you're getting nothing out of that conference. But here's what I did. So the first conference I went to, I had that exact same feeling, right? And I thought, you know what? Instead of thinking about this in terms of networking, what's something I'm really good at? What's something I like to do? I like to help people. I feel good when I've helped someone. For me, one of my strengths is that I I read a lot and I have a lot of, um, I just kind of gather and collect a lot of information from a lot of different places. You know, I really like those, those kinds of things where I'm just like in my own head, thinking about stuff, reading and doing things. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to figure out a way to use that to network. I set a goal for myself the first day of the conference, I'm going to help three people either make a book recommendation or connect them with somebody else that I know or any way I can help them. And I ended up buying, I think I bought three books that day on Amazon and sent them to complete strangers. So it'd be waiting for them when they got home because I just wanted to help people. Like that was my goal. And it got me over that fear. But for people who are really introverts and they don't like to talk, which clearly is not me, you know, everybody wants to go to these things and talk about themselves. What almost nobody wants to do is go and listen. (laughs) And if you're an introvert, you're probably a really good listener and you're probably really good at processing the information you hear. So you don't have to worry about what you're going to say. Think of three good questions you can ask a person that if they're a talker, they'll get going, right? And my favorites are, how did you get involved in this line of work? Yeah. What makes you feel included? And tell me about a story from your childhood or your early adulthood that really cemented your values. 
Oh, wow. Now, those aren't right out of the gate questions, right? You get through the weather or the traffic or whatever it is first, but those are really good ways to get people talking and you learn so much yeah. about them yeah. and they feel really, you know, they feel warm and fuzzy toward you. Yeah. yeah. And I've used this method a lot in conferences. And what I found is I, I took Robbie Samuel's advice. He said, if you don't know what to say to somebody, just ask them good questions and listen, they'll think you're a great person. They'll love you. And they'll introduce you to people all through the conference. And that is exactly what happened. Plus you learn how you can help them if that's your goal, right? I mean, I'm sure that's how you pulled out of people to know what book to send them. Exactly. What are you struggling with? What problem are you trying to solve? Like these are oh, all, you know, these are all questions designed to kind of build a connection. Yeah. Amy, this is fantastic. And I could talk to you for hours. We really need to get together for lunch <laughs> one of these days when we're both in the same city at the same time. Now, what I'm going to ask you as kind of a wrap up is a, a couple of suggestions that you might have for our listeners of what they can do differently today or tomorrow to get on this path. Uh, but before I ask you that question, I'm going to recommend again to our listeners that you pick up a copy of Network Beyond Bias. The stories that Amy relates in that book will help answer a lot of networking questions, mentoring questions, and it could change the trajectory of your career. And I mean that in all sincerity. I think the book is that powerful. So, Thank you, Jeff. So, Amy, what are some things, one or two things that our listeners could do differently to begin to build this powerful network? So I would say the first thing you should do is make sure you're connected on LinkedIn with everyone that you actually know. And if you are not, get started on that right away. And when you connect with people, here's here are my two tips for LinkedIn connections. When you connect with someone new, whether you know them or not, tell them why you're connecting with them. So it might be something as simple as, I'm excited to work with you on this new project, mm -hmm. and I want to lay the foundation now to stay connected when the project ends. Whatever it is, whatever reason, and be honest about it, right? Put that in there. The reason I say be honest about it is because one, your integrity is on the line, but two, three years from now, that person's going to pop up in your feed and you're going to wonder why in the heck you're connected with them. <laughs> uh -huh. How do I know that name? Where did I meet them? All of that's going to be saved in your message history. So you can go find it later. That's a great idea. I have that problem all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so now the flip of that is if somebody connects with you and you don't know why, Ask them, and this yep. is the wording I use, and if you connect with me on LinkedIn, Amy C. Wanninger, you will get this question back if you don't tell me why you connected with me. I always say, thank you for the invitation to connect. May I ask what prompted your request? I like that. And this tells me two things. One, if you're selling something, I'm going to know it right away. Yep. Two, if you've heard me on Jeff's podcast or you were in one of my audiences at a conference, I'll have the notes to refer back to. The other thing that that does, though, is, you know, it really helps start a conversation because now I know what things might interest you. I'll have kind of a, a connection in my brain that, oh, right. Jeff connected with me because he liked my thoughts on podcasting. So I'm going to send him this article that I just saw. I like that approach, Amy. That is, it provides more value to the LinkedIn network. Absolutely. So, Amy, this has been great, and as I said, we could we could go on forever, but Megan's probably uh, back there trying to cut us off. 
to our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information. Reach out to Amy on LinkedIn. Again, I encourage you to pick up her book, Network Beyond Bias. This is Jeff Tun for Amy Wanniger. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find InterVision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.